0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. So we started last week by talking about the crisis at Silicon Valley Bank and a couple of other American banks which crashed because of a run on deposits. And moved to the end of the week by talking about the unfolding crisis at Credit Suisse in Switzerland which came to a head over the weekend where a mandated rescue. Uh, the Swiss government insisted on uh, UBS taking over uh, Credit Suisse and saving the bank from apparent collapse. But does this mean we need to be worried about contagion? and the Irish banks getting caught up in the global banking crisis. Given that, if you'd cast your mind back 15 years, remember the names Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers, and the events in the United States over a six-month period in 2008 led to the infamous bank guarantee of September 2008 here in Ireland but didn't save the likes of Anglo-Irish Bank and Irish Nationwide from crashing and the state having to pump €64 billion into saving AIB, Bank of Ireland, Permanent TSB and others. Well, we're joined by one of the key figures from that period, the chief executive then of the National Treasury Management Agency, now retired, Michael Summers, thank you very much for taking the time to join us.
1: That's all, good to talk to you.
0: Michael, are the Irish banks safe from getting up in this latest global banking crisis?
1: Oh, I think they are. I think they learnt their lesson 15 years ago, 12, 15 years ago at the last crash and they became ultra-cautious. In fact, they probably may have gone overboard in respect of their caution. So I wouldn't see any risk at this stage either to depositors or to the state having to bail out the banks or anything like that. Um, I think that they're they're well-capitalised They've buckets of money. In fact, they've so much money that they were putting it, as you know, instead of buying government bonds where the others have lost a pack of money, they were putting it at the European Central Bank, where they're getting negative rates of interest. And you may recall they were trying to pass on those negative rates of interest, and the rest of us who might as you go with them are to institutions with money with them. So um, they didn't. The problem really with these other banks is they bought government bonds at insanely low rates of interest, you know, the idea that you'd lock up money for 10, 20, 30 years at a half percent or one percent or whatever. Common sense never seems to dictate that's what, what you would do, but they did it.
0: Yeah, but then, then hang on, Michael, why was nobody
1: shouting stop? <laughs> do they ever? I don't know. Common sense can be in short supply in some of these cases. And, of course, the thing was that banks could buy these bonds and then they could go into the European Central Bank and hand them in and guess. Uh, the cash back and possibly a bit of a turn for the for the money, uh, but some held on to the bonds, and that's the sort of thing too that that uh, did for Liz Truss's government in the UK too, with the pension funds buying these bonds and then suddenly they're worth an awful lot less than they paid for them, and that's what happened now to to uh, the Swiss banks. You know they bought these bonds, no rates of interest, interest rates go up, the bonds become an awful lot less worth an awful lot less, so they're sitting on a loss. Now some of these outfits. I think under accounting rules they could somehow or other ring fence them and say we're going to hold these bonds to maturity so we don't have to reveal the losses but uh, you know that's not, that's only playing games really, the losses were there and of course when, when uh, the, the Swiss ran out of money they had to sell the bonds and realise a loss But, but Michael this might make work. a
0: lot of people listen think, is banking all a series of slight hand in games?
1: <laughs> no but it's as a colleague of mine said to me one time, there's an awful lot of moving parts in this, And uh, it can be hard at times to keep up with all the, the moving parts. But an awful lot of it is based really on trust and on confidence. And once that begins to get a bit shaky, of course, people get very worried. But um, I think what's happened uh, in Switzerland, it's probably, it's happened elsewhere too. And um, there's an element of greed, of course, all the time. People see themselves getting very low rates of interest or no rates of interest at all if they put money into central banks. So they look for other options. And as I say, the idea of locking money away at very low rates of interest for long periods of time, I could never see the sense of it. But people did it.
0: And now the consequences are there. But I'm still struggling to come to understand why, you know, if everyone's applying hindsight and saying, oh, they should never have been putting their money into low-yielding re- government bonds... Well, why weren't the regulators telling them to diversify their holdings of money? They probably did, but they, they had an
1: option. I mean, they could have sold these things back into central banks and got the money back. It was only when interest rates started to go up uh, that the trouble emerged. And I don't know what the people's outlook was in interest rates, whether they thought it was going to remain insanely low for years. Uh, but once they started to tick up, uh, you know, the writing was on the wall I frankly don't know, you know there's never a regulator and um, I would struggle to understand sometimes some of the decisions regulators take but I frankly don't know, they must have known there was a risk because you can calculate the risk, you know I, I chaired the risk committee in AIB for five years and I mean we would have looked at all this sort of stuff, you know what happens if interest rates change uh, what's the effect on your balance sheet? And suddenly, if you see a loss appearing in your balance sheet because of change of interest rates, well, you need to sit up and do something about it.
0: You do indeed. But what about the potential knock-on consequences that you can have a domino effect? Because I, I think a lot of us will remember well Back in 2008, Bear Stearns was sort of around Patrick's Day in 2008 and yeah. actions were taken and then we were told, sure, it'll be fine. And then we got to September and suddenly there was another Bear Stearns, but it was Lehman Brothers and it collapsed. And then you had this so-called contagion effect. And an awful lot of the reassurances we got throughout 2008 turned out to be bogus. I mean, for example, we were told that only the only problem in the Irish banks was liquidity. Well, yes, there was a crisis in liquidity, but it turned out as well as that, that there was an awful lot of loans turning bad on the Irish banks to create the losses that brought them down, that it was a a capacity issue as well.
1: Well, they lent an awful lot of money for property and to property developers, etc. And then suddenly that market collapsed. So the the, the value of the, the assets they were holding or the collateral they were holding suddenly plummeted. And they couldn't get their money back. And these fellows couldn't sell the stuff then. And you remember the half-built housing estates around the country. Money suddenly ran out. But that all arose, uh, I suppose, with well, the starting point was us when we joined the single European currency, which was ideal. I mean, it was ideal for fellows like me. I was trying to keep down the cost of sales and the national debt, so suddenly the interstates collapsed. But it meant that the Irish banks could go and borrow unlimited amounts of money in the euro market, uh, add on a little percent for themselves and on lenders then in Ireland. And I remember passing the comment it was like kids let loose in a sweet shop. Uh, up to that, there was a limited amount of money they could actually get and lend. Now suddenly, there was a unlimited amount of money they could borrow on the international markets and on lend. And there didn't seem to be any particular control on them at the time. And fellows were getting cheered on for, for the huge amounts of lending. And I remember we used to be flabbergasted that... Uh, credit in Ireland was going up at 20 or 30% a year, and the, the uh, nominal GNP was going up maybe 6 or 8%, what economics I was taught was the two should move more or less in tandem. And I remember we discussed this every Monday morning at a meeting we had. How Have we invented some new form of economics, or is this all going to end in tears? Now, I did raise it at, at an official level at one stage, and I mean, I got a huge pushback, but... Um, It ended in tears. It did, but Michael,
0: you see, I suppose people fear that this could happen again, but are we in a different position now in that not just that the banks haven't actually, the Irish banks haven't put their money into government bonds, they've parked it with the European Central Bank, which is a much safer place to be, but also that they have been restricted in the amount of lending that they've actually been doing, so they have a lesser fear of not having enough capital to cover losses or loans going bad.
1: Well, have in fact, as far as I know now, I haven't studied the, the accounts of the banks recently, but um, the impression I had, B well, was the one I was more, most closely involved with, they had a loan book of about $60 billion, And the banks generally would say, oh, during the year we lent so much money, billions, shown the great work they had done. In fact, if you probed these figures, what you discovered was that most of the so-called increase in lending was... The, a rollover of overdrafts or renewal of term loans. There was, in fact, very little new lending as such. And then they would quote figures for the amount of money they'd lent for mortgages. Um, in fact, what they used to say was that the loan, mortgage approvals went up by such and such an amount. Now, to my mind, mortgage approvals wasn't terribly relevant. It was mortgage drawdowns that were relevant, which were much smaller than mortgage approvals. And much of the money that was extended in new mortgages it was, in fact, net. By the repayments on existing mortgages there's a very little net increase in lending and this is why the banks had surplus deposits which they had to find a home for and thankfully they put it with the European Central Bank rather than buying government bonds with it okay. so, Michael
0: so, just one thing to finish it, could there be though that if you do have interest rates now having gone up there's Debate as to whether the European Central Bank will increase them further to try and combat inflation. Could it be that this will undermine confidence in European economies and that this will cause a recession? And could also mean that even the money that's needed in Ireland to be borrowed for house building and various other things simply will not be
1: forthcoming? Well, I think it'd probably be forthcoming but at a much higher rate of interest. And that, of course, in the high rates of interest ultimately feed through into government deficits. And that will put the squeeze on government in terms of the money it has available to spend. I mean, if we were not in the single currency now, our bond rates probably would be 6 or 8% instead of the 2 or 3% that they are. Uh, but if interest rates keep going up, we're going to get a hit in terms of the cost of servicing the national debt. And, you know, we used to have the state pension fund, uh, which we could dip into and did dip into. But that's gone too. That was abolished. Uh, so we're not as well off as we might be. But nevertheless, I don't see any trouble on the horizon for us.
0: I hope you're right.
1: Michael Summers, former
0: right. yeah. chief <laughs> <laughs> executive of the National Treasury Management Agency. Thank you. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.